Uh, good morning, everyone. Really good to be with you and sharing with you this morning. And the story goes that a young boy attended church with his granda one Sunday morning. He was quite inquisitive about what was going on at the front of church at the very start of the service. Just before everything began, there was a man who came in with a large Bible and set it in the pulpit and opened it. The little boy asked the granda, whispered, he said, Granda, what does that mean? The granda explained that puts the word, that shows everyone and demonstrates that the word of God is to be central to everything that goes on in the church. The service continued, and a little bit later, whenever the minister said, let us pray, he bowed his head. The little boy whispered, said, Granda, why does he do that? He says, well, that's to show reverence to God. He bows his head and closes his eyes to shut out the distractions. The little boy seemed satisfied. And then at the start of the sermon, when the minister was just beginning, the minister took off his watch and set it beside him. The little boy whispered to his granda, said, Granda, what does that mean? The granda, exasperated, said, son, that doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> and so, at the start of the sermon, I'll take my watch off and uh, hopefully lead us through as we go this morning. It's quite a difficult passage in many ways that Phil has read for us this morning. It's technical and there's story and there's narrative that's going on. And if you've just landed into us here at this, at this point of the summer, we've been following on a, a journey and a series through the book of First Kings and in particular the life of Elijah. And uh, what we're going to get to this morning is we're going to try to unpack this story in 1 Kings 18. We're going to try and understand it. If you have a Bible, you can open it and follow along with me as we go through it. And we're going to try and pull out some themes, particularly the theme of how Elijah and then this new character called Obadiah were obedient to the calling of God. How often have you heard these statements? Do as you're told. I'm not asking you again. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. How many times did you hear that? Maybe as children, how many times have those of us who are parents said those things to our children recently? A lot in our house, if the truth be told. They're all statements that request or demand obedience, or more than likely, sometimes they display exasperation when our very clear instructions, very clear and reasonable commands haven't been followed. It can be frustrating whenever that's the case. And today we come to the subject of obedience as we travel through Elijah's story. This series focusing on our awesome God and how we see many of his incredible attributes through the story of Elijah. And we've seen how God provides. And we've seen lots of different attributes of God, of his power, of his greatness. But today we come to how he is a God who commands obedience. And I'm well aware that the topic of obedience is not necessarily might not necessarily seem like an exciting or an appealing topic to, to address, maybe in the church, but particularly in a world that celebrates freedom and even rejects rules, obedience can seem pretty uncool. And even in the things of faith, surely it's better for us as God's people to focus on God's love and his grace and his forgiveness, not his commands and demands and obedience. Get on message, right? It feels like freedom is a key goal for humanity. But would it be good for society if everyone had ultimate freedom to do as they chose? 
Sure, we wouldn't have to slow down to 30 miles per hour on some roads. We might get to some places quicker, right? But how many more children or people would be struck by cars? We might have extra money to spend each month if we didn't have to bother paying any taxes. But the more vul- how many more vulnerable people would be suffering in our society without the welfare state? It'd be great some days not to just bother going into work, wouldn't it? You know, don't really feel like it to work for our company, but what would that do for the workload of our colleagues? You see, freedom from commands do not necessarily lead to ultimate happiness for us or utopia for all. Again, as parents of young children know, commands actually protect or they guide. Sometimes no is actually a really healthy answer. And so when it comes to the And so too, when it comes to our faith, there is no growth. There's no growth in the Christian faith without obedience. Without learning to be obedient to our Heavenly Father, no growth can occur. And actually damage is done in any relationship whenever disobedience occurs. And so too, with our friendship with God. And perhaps the most important thing to consider with any command is not necessarily what is being asked of me, but who is asking me? You see, we don't respond to commands depending on the content of the instruction, but rather we respond to commands depending on the nature of the relationship and the authority of the one who is asking. So picture the scene. Your mobile phone rings at 4 a.m. tomorrow morning. Wakes you up. You pick it up. There is an unknown voice at the other end of the phone and ask, they ask you to transfer money immediately from your bank account into the following Nigerian bank account because they've received an email and you need this straight away and help is urgently needed. How would you respond? What would you do? Would you leap up and transfer the money and be obedient to that command? Okay, now I picture the scene. Your phone rings the next morning at 4 a.m. and it is your parent or it is your child who says that they desperately need your help and could you come right away? How would you respond to the command? You would jump out of bed and you would do whatever you could to help. Why? Because obedience isn't about the command. Obedience is about the source. So when it comes to our faith and being obedient in faith, Perhaps the most important thing to consider is not simply what is being asked, but can we trust the one who is asking? What's the character of the one who is asking us to follow them? And I know that to those on the outside of Christianity, that some of the commands of God or even the demands of the Bible can feel overbearing or overreaching or irrelevant or out of date or out of step. But to those of us who have encountered a loving God, who have received forgiveness through Jesus and experienced the presence of his spirit, we feel more compelled to trust his ways and follow his will because we've grasped God's character. We've learned to trust him. And I listened to a couple of experienced church leaders recently reflect back on their life in ministry. And they were sharing about some of the difficulties, many of the difficulties they had faced and the challenges they had come through and the hard things about serving God. But then one of them kind of interjected and interrupted the other and said, but you know, in all of the ups and downs, I want to say that I've experienced the kindness of God 
And we need to remember that we do not serve a cruel, tyrant, dictator, but a God of grace who loves us. Whenever he said that, I needed to hear that in that moment. The reminder that the God who commands obedience is the one whose heart is kind towards his children and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So with all that in mind, that was the introduction, by the way. That's fine, I told you the joke at the start, not only joking. With all that in mind, let's get back to the story of Elijah and see what's happening here at the start of chapter 18. Because we meet Elijah three years into a nationwide drought. Now, many of you might say that sounds like utopia. That sounds brilliant. You know, I'd love uh, sunshine and, and, you know, good weather and no rain for quite a while. But it's not been a pleasant story for the people where Elijah lived. And it's interesting to note how the chapter starts. Verse 1 says this. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. See, it hasn't been easy for the people in the land because it's been a long time since they've experienced rain. But it hasn't been easy for Elijah and the prophets of God either because it's been a while, it seems, since they had heard the voice and the word of the Lord. In the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And I wonder how many of us today might feel like we've been waiting for a while on the voice of God. Maybe it feels like it's been a long time. Perhaps a prayer we've been praying or a hope we've been having or a pain we've been enduring or a silence we've been suffering, struggling with. You know, Elijah experienced that. The prophet of God who had incredible highs, who, who um, um, experienced the provision of God, who saw the miraculous hand of God at work, seems to um, suggest, the Bible seems to suggest that the drought wasn't just meteorological, it was spiritual. Because it was after a long time that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. You know, for those of you who have been waiting on the voice of God, don't give up hope. For those of us today who've been praying persistently, don't lose heart. This is a God who seeks his people. Even after a time of silence, there's a God, this is a God who speaks and communicates, who answers prayer in his time. It's a God, this is a God who values faithfulness and obedience. And this is what he was seeking from Elijah. God was responding to his people's needs. He'd seen the drought, but he was asking Elijah to be part of the solution. He gave him a challenge. It was a pretty challenging command. The answer to the people's problems was going to come from the obedience of Elijah. Go and reveal yourself to Ahab. The fearsome king Ahab who has turned away from me, go and reveal yourself to him and I will send rain on the land. Do you hear the dual part of that command? Here's a command, okay? Go and reveal yourself to Ahab, the fearsome king, and I will. And I will. See, that's how God often works. He asks us to be part of his solutions, even the solutions to the prayers we might pray or the hopes we might have. Elijah's obedience would unlock a blessing. And that's generally true in the things of faith. Not necessarily physical blessing for us or material blessing for ourselves, but our obedience blesses God and it generally leads to be, um, bring a blessing in our relationship with him and the building of his kingdom here on earth. Obedience unlocks a blessing. I've been watching this week the World Athletics Championships 
And there was a brilliant moment the other night in the 1500 meters when Jake Whiteman of Great Britain won the race to take gold. And immediately after his win, he had crossed the line and he was celebrating. And one of the first things that the camera did in the stadium was that the camera went straight to a gray-haired stadium announcer sitting way up high. And the, most people in the stadium had no idea why on earth in this moment of glory for this 1500 meters runner were they focusing on a commentator who nobody knew who it really was. There was initial amusement in the crowd and maybe on the TV about why this commentator was on screen until he said these words over the tannoy in the stadium. He said, I've got to tell you why the camera is on me right now. That's my son. I coach him and he's the world champion. For all of Jake Whiteman's athletic career, he had listened to the instructions of his dad, who was next athlete himself. And those commands given by his dad came from a place of love. There were grueling sessions. There were grueling training sessions where he pushed his son hard and challenged him to, to keep going. And at times they would have been challenging, but they were designed to help his son grow and to fulfill his talent and to develop to become a world champion. And by following his instructions, that boy went on to learn from his example and to become a world champion. You see, obedience commands a blessing. This morning, I want to leave you with two different types of obedience that's seen in this passage. One is the public obedience of Elijah. The other is the private obedience of this character, Obadiah. You see, up until this point, Elijah had lived away from the gaze of Ahab. There had been significant events, but most of the time that had happened out of the sight of Ahab. And that was a good thing, because Ahab was an evil king who was turned away from God. In 1 Kings 16, we hear that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any who had gone before him. And let me tell you, that was some achievement because many who had gone before him hadn't followed God either. And here we have a command that comes from God to Elijah to say, go and present yourself to Ahab, the prophet going to confront an evil ruler. Think about that today, in today's world. A prophet of God going to confront an evil ruler who has turned against God and his ways. It wouldn't have been too appealing an invitation, would it? How was Elijah going to respond? And yet Elijah obeys God despite the challenge and he goes to confront the idolatry of Ahab. You know, what do we do with the commands of God that we find hard to follow? Are we prepared to follow him even in the costly commands? Or will we just follow him in the ones that seem convenient to us and kind of leave out and ignore some of the more challenging bits? See, Elijah showed complete determination to follow God no matter what the cost. I might have said this before, but explorer Ernest Shackleton ran an advert in the newspaper one time in 1914 to try to recruit a crew to his endurance expedition. And rather than outline all the benefits for why people should sign up, he said this, he said, men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition, and event of success. See what he was doing? He was making the cost clear at the outset, and 5,000 people still applied. <laughs> you see, Jesus was no different. Jesus set a high bar whenever it came 
to the challenging commands that he asked his followers to fulfill. He told a rich man to sell all his possessions. He encouraged his followers to forsake their family members to instead follow him. You see, discipleship comes with a cost. True discipleship to Jesus is not convenient or comfortable. And Elijah understood this. He, he had been given a difficult task to stand up to the ruler of the nation, the power couple of Ahab and Jezebel. And yet there's a steadfastness and courage to Elijah. At a time where all of the other prophets of God were in hiding. They were hiding in caves all across the nation. Elijah stepped out from the shadows and he shared his convictions with courage. You know, I wonder how many of us at times are secret believers, not necessarily carring in caves around Carmony, but perhaps just in moments in the office or among our neighbors or in our friendships, perhaps just hiding away when it comes to the things of faith, carrying our faith in Jesus around like a hidden little secret. You know, I believe that we need to prepare and be prepared to following Jesus in the next decade will require more courage than what was needed in the previous one. There's such a temptation for disciples of Jesus to retreat into the safety of places like this, but not really seek to impact society out there. We need to be those who see the world differently and march to the beat of a different drum. Elijah did that. He, 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 his faith took on a public dimension. He was publicly obedient to the commands of God. Listen to this quote from a brilliant book called Faith for Exiles. It says, without courage, we'd be unable able to live distinctively from the push and pull of culture. Without courage, we won't think and live differently from the norm. Without courage, we won't stand up for the right things at the right times. You know, for any of us who live as secret believers, now and again, or maybe right through our lives, perhaps the first step of obedience is to admit our belief in Jesus. Whenever I became a Christian, whenever I was 16, or at least um, t- took a, a, a kind of um, intentional decision to follow Jesus as a teenager, I was encouraged by a leader in our youth group. He said, tell people, tell your friends, tell the people around you as quickly as you can. Because he knew that the longer that that would go on, the harder I might find that to admit my faith. It helped to be transparent with my friends. You know, we don't always have to be confrontational in public, but our faith shouldn't be hidden. Let's not hide the voice of God and the word of the Lord. Because the context of Elijah's day is that it too was a contested public square. You see, we can sometimes believe that You know, it's getting worse, isn't it? You know, it's harder today than it's ever been before. Well, you know, the fact is that in Elijah's day, he faced even fiercer opposition. And it was a time of religious persecution, cultural idolatry, where the prophets of God were being rounded up and killed. And Elijah still chose obedience. Following Jesus will require courage and will require public obedience. A couple of weeks ago, maybe like some of you folks as well, um, we uh, had our boys, we were in Port Stewart for a couple of weeks, and we had our boys attending SISM, uh, a holiday activity run by Scripture Union. And there, on the bandstand of Port Stewart, were a team of dedicated volunteers, all between the ages of, I think, 17 to 23, 
standing in the bandstand, leading kids' songs, sharing Bible stories, leading memory verses, quizzes, right there in the public, um, public arena, I suppose, or right there on the street. And I was sitting on the steps watching our kids engage, and I was so challenged by their courage and bravery and witness. How many times did I struggle as th those people demonstrate their faith, literally hundreds of people in the street passing by, how many times did I struggle to share my faith with one or two people around me? We need to develop a public obedience like Elijah, but also we need a kind of private obedience like Obadiah. You see, the story tells us that Obadiah was a devout believer. Verse 12 tells us that he had worshipped the Lord since his youth. And I love that description because perhaps some of us here who, have been, who began following Jesus when we were young, which as Phil has reminded us this morning, wasn't, was, was all too long ago perhaps for me and others. But you know, maybe we might think that we don't have a very interesting story of faith to tell. We hear dramatic stories of transformation from other people who have come from difficult backgrounds or wild lifestyles to now following Jesus. And praise God for those stories. We have some of them here. But if your story is one where you've been seeking to follow Jesus since your youth, then praise God for that too. You might not feel like you have dramatic stories to share, but there's no such thing as a boring testimony because you've been loved by the King of Kings. You've been rescued by Jesus and you have tried to live a life of private obedience. That's what Obadiah was doing. And where was he doing it? He was doing it living right under the nose of King Ahab in the thick of his palace and office. You see, Obadiah was the palace administrator. He had a very powerful job in government. And perhaps it begs a question to us about how on earth a devout believer like Obadiah could possibly work or show allegiance to a tyrant ruler set on destruction and evil. And maybe that's a valid question. But Obadiah shows that it's possible to serve God quietly and faithfully within the systems of society that aren't necessarily turned towards God. This quiet and faithful believer embeds himself in the king's office and uses his power for good. And he uses his power to hide hundreds of prophets of God in caves out of the reach of Ahab and away from danger. I am so thankful that God raises up his people to serve him in all kinds of professions and spheres of society, even in systems that might frustrate people like us or where the general direction might seem to flow in the opposite direction towards faith. You know, it's good to be reminded that there are Christian politicians in Westminster and in Stormont. There's Christians in our media. There's Christians who work in large financial corporations, and many of them are seeking to bring a godly influence as they do their work, and we should pray for them because it's not easy. Maybe you yourself work in places that might seem like a difficult environment and you need to grow an Obadiah spirit through a godly character and private obedience. And maybe today on Sunday, it's worth reflecting today before you enter the workplace tomorrow, what it looks like to serve God there and how you're gonna go about your work. We all need to grow in our private obedience to God, not just in big or dramatic things, but for the subtle ways that we can follow him 
in our life. We need private obedience because the, um, because the commands of God aren't just for the public sphere or where everyone else sees. You see, Elijah and Obadiah were prepared to follow God in the public through knowing God's provision in the private. And people like you and I are more prepared for our faith in public whenever we learn to meet God in the private place. So how are you doing that? How are you learning and seeking to grow in your relationship with God in the private place? Because it's that that will prepare you to follow him in public. I used to regularly tell young people here that the things they engaged in in church and the devotional rhythms that they could grow were like the training ground that prepared them to serve God in the harder places of their life. I used to tell them that this was actually for that out there. So where's your private place that will fuel your public obedience? One last little thing about this story. <laughs> Elijah was warned by Obadiah, okay? He was warned by Obadiah that confronting Ahab could cost him his life. And yet Elijah was prepared to do that anyway. In some ways, Obadiah was devout, but he also warned Elijah and said, you know, maybe you just need to stop here. And yet Elijah was prepared to be obedient to the will of God, even to the point of death. And that might sound extreme to us, and yet it's worth reminding ourselves of the extreme lengths of which Jesus went to in his obedience to the will of his Father. We have a God who continues to command obedience from his children today. But the truth is that he can't fully receive it from us. While we should seek to live in obedience to God, the truth is that this is a completely impossible goal. None of us can reach it. However, through the cross, God sought not our punishment for that, but he took it on himself. And not he didn't demand our blood, but he instead offered his own. And that's the beauty of the gospel, folks. That's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is seen in Jesus' complete obedience and following his Father's will, even in the face of death. You know, we have an awesome God. We have an awesome God because he didn't just command obedience from his children without being prepared to subject himself to the ways of humanity and the suffering of this world. And in perfect obedience, he accepted the cost. So are we prepared to accept any cost that comes our way by living in ways obedient to his commands, both in the public places of society and in the private places of our lives? I'm done. I'm going to pray in a moment. Do you folks want to come up? Just as I pray, I would love maybe to challenge you in one of those two ways. For you perhaps to reflect now or today or through this week in which of those aspects you might most need to grow in right now in your life. Maybe for you it is the public obedience, following Jesus and being seen to follow him by others, the others around you, where perhaps you've stayed hidden as a believer or maybe for you it's in the private ways as well seeking to be faithful to God in all parts of every aspect of your life even when no 